well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Glad you're with me on the program today. I am even, well, as delighted, not even more delighted, but I am as delighted that uh, we are going to be talking with Rob Dorr. From the Minnesota Gun Owners Caucus, we uh, have tried to connect with Rob a couple of times over the past week or so and just had some uh, scheduling issues. But uh, Rob will be with us here in just a moment or two, talking about some of the bills that have been introduced in the uh, early days of this year's session, including a a bill that just dropped yesterday that would have a major impact on uh, the vast majority of gun owners across the state, vast majority of ranges across the state. And this is just one of several Bad bills that have been introduced this session in the land of 10,000 lakes as uh, anti-gun lawmakers try to turn it into the land of zero lawfully owned firearms. Take a look and a listen. Rob, thank you so much for joining me on the program. I'm really glad that we could connect today uh, because it sounds like there is a lot of stuff to talk about in Minnesota right now. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's a little weird. Uh, at the beginning of session, the anti-gun Democrat leaders uh, held a press conference saying that this wasn't going to be a controversial year, and yet uh, we're we're seeing all sorts of very controversial stuff uh, when it comes to uh, lawful gun owners, peaceable gun owners, and Second Amendment rights. Yeah, we're going to talk about the uh, the gun ban that has been introduced, some of the other bills. But uh, right before we uh, hit record here, you were telling me about a bill that just dropped yesterday. It sounds like this would have an impact on almost every gun owner uh, who visits the range, who likes to enjoy, you know, trap shooting, things of that nature. Um, This is a direct attack on their right to keep and bear arms. Yeah, you know, the bill dropped earlier. It was referred to committee. uh, uh, And um, this one's really interesting. Uh, Basically, it prohibits uh, lead ammunition for hunting and it it prohibits the possession of lead ammunition, not even the hunting with lead ammunition, just the mere possession. So even if you have, let's say you you, you have a personal uh, protection firearm like a pistol, uh, you wouldn't be able to have lead ammunition with that uh, while hunting. Uh, But then uh, ranges that receive uh, what our state calls um, uh, shooting uh, facility sports grants, which ironically are actually funded from ammunition sales ammunition companies like federal here in minnesota um uh if they if they receive grants which is a large number of outdoor uh, ranges and indoor ranges that in order to receive those grants uh that they have to prohibit lead ammunition for being used in their facilities holy cow i mean you know and again this just dropped yesterday so i'm sure you've not had much of a chance to talk with uh, a lot of range owners but it seems to me like this is uh, you know, either rangers are going to have to shut down, they're going to have to figure out how to do more with less, um, or again, uh, the most common ammunition uh, is going to be outlawed for use in these ranges. And again, for for hunters and sportsmen as well as trap shooters, this is absolutely insane. What what is the what is the supposed reason uh, for this bill, Rob? What what problem are we trying to solve here? Um, it, it was referred to the environmental committee. Uh, so uh, I, I think that, that that's their motivation behind it. That within the same bill is the banning of lead tackle and things like that. And, and while we know that there is some efficacy in uh, restricting lead use over um, over wildlife habitats, wa- wa- you know, water uh, watersheds, wildlife habitats, because you know bottom feeders eat the lead. Yeah, other animals eat those bottom feeders. There's no 
empirical evidence whatsoever of any population level impact on any species from upland game hunting uh, and certainly not from any ranges. And who's really going to be the most hurt by this are members of the public, like our high school trap shooting teams that use these ranges, that utilize these grants to help offset some of those costs and make it a, a, a low cost sport for uh, high schoolers to engage in. Now, by by eliminating their ability to get these grants, if they don't re, you know, remove the use of lead on their property, uh, essentially, we're going to be seeing high school trap teams shut down. And, and I think that might be kind of the insidious underlying goal is to kill off the next generation of people who actually care about their Second Amendment rights. Yeah, and it's important for people to understand just how big high school trap shooting has become in Minnesota. Um, you know, the high school uh, trap shooting league that is now nationwide really started in Minnesota, what, a little bit more than a decade ago. Last year, I think there were something like 7,500 participants in the state trap shooting championship because it's an open competition. Um, so, I mean, that shows you the level of involvement here. And I'm sure that that's absolutely horrifying to gun control activists, right? As you say, this is a safe sport. Uh, it's a sport where, you know, kids get a chance to participate. Even if you're the 12th man on the team or the 12th woman on the team, you're, you, you're still shooting. Uh, you're not riding the bench like you would be, you know, playing basketball or uh, baseball or football. Um, and again, this exposes the next generation, as you say, to not only uh, the Second Amendment, but how fun the shooting sports is, quite frankly. <laughs> right. And, and you know, that's something we're not supposed to talk about. We're not supposed to talk about uh, the enjoyable uh, part of shooting, right? The, the recreational shooting that we do um, just for fun with family and friends, competitive shooting. They don't want that to exist. And if they can eradicate that, then that's one step closer to eradicating our right to keep and bear arms. Absolutely. And these kids are really, really passionate about this sport. Uh, our, our organization has had the uh, opportunity to sponsor some of these teams. And then uh, I've actually volunteered as a coach. And when when they finally get it, when they're able to get 21, 22, 24 out of 25 on a round, the sheer joy on their face. And I'm talking uh, young men, young women, people with uh, with uh, disabilities, they are all competing against each other. There's no adaptations. There's no, you know, special uh, special limits where, you know, you, uh, the, the females have to hit a certain amount and the males. No, it is literally a level playing field. And when you see a kid who who maybe has a, a you know, a, a disability that prevents them from participating in hockey or football, when you see them being able to excel and compete at the same level as, you know, quote, fully abled people. People, the joy on their face is just amazing. And, and that's that's what they're really going to be killing off with bills like this. You know, and the amazing thing is like uh, the high school trap shooting program is not political. Um, it's not that, you know, they're, you know, uh, uh, there's no com political component to this whatsoever, except perhaps now, um, <laughs> right. because I hope <laughs> I hope that what we see are these, you know, teams and these individuals who are competing um, start to contact their state representatives, start to contact their state senator, show up if this bill gets a hearing in committee, because we need to hear from these voices. And so, uh, you know, ironically, in an attempt to try to eradicate the sport, um, they may end up turning uh, thousands of these uh, high school athletes into activists uh, defending yeah, their, their sport. And we've already seen that. We've had members of high school trap teams join us in testifying in opposition to some of these bills like universal background checks that basically would have prohibited them from being able to, you know, hand, hand you know, have a have one of the moms load up uh, multiple firearms into her minivan and, and drive the kids over to go get pizza. Uh, you know, that that would have been 
and prohibited uh, under like some of these universal background checks bills. And these kids have testified uh, and have actually shaped the influence of legislation through their testimony. Well, I hope that we're going to hear more from them this session, um, as well as adult gun owners, because it sounds like, again, there are a number of threats here. So beyond this bill, um, tell me about the semi-auto ban that's been introduced in Minnesota this year. Yeah, so there's two bills that have been introduced. One uh, bans the transfer of semi-autos and the other bans the possession of semi-autos. Uh, so uh, in tandem, it essentially makes it entirely illegal to uh, to possess uh, a semi-auto. You the, the government has a buyback program, and I'm always confused how the government can buy back something that they never sold, uh, but I digress, uh, that uh, the commissioner of public safety gets to set the price of the firearms that they are buying back. So whether you have a Ruger 1022 with a tactical stock or you know a high-end Noveski with all the bells and whistles, uh, it's going to be valued at the same and you and you have to turn it over or you can register it with the government and that database is open to the public. What? Yeah, they, they provided no privacy provisions uh, within the st- uh, within the bill. So uh, by by default, the data is public. And I guarantee you, within a week of this bill passing, we're going to see some anti-gun organization with some neighborhood tracker where you can find the your, your neighbors that have registered assault weapons. Good God, that is ridiculous. What, what, what is the status of uh, these two bills right now? Are they moving? Uh, so they've been referred to committee. Uh, it, we're, we're only uh, you know, the second week into our legislative session right now. So things are a little bit early to see what's gaining traction. Uh, but we have been able to really effectively mobilize our members. And, and if you're listening, even if you're not in Minnesota, uh, Minnesota, uh, because of the nature of our politics, is always seen as the testing ground for all of these gun control proposals. We have pro-gun Democrats in rural areas, and they're always being pressured to vote for the common sense things. We have the ability through support Supporting our organization or at least making your voice heard, we can put pressure on those Democrats to stop these bills in their tracks, which means that they stop gaining momentum in other states that could be pressured to to to, to try to find those Democrats that are, you know, pro Second Amendment, but support, you know, common sense type things. Yeah. And again, th- this is being billed as a, uh, a session that is, you know, uh, modest proposals on, on firearms, right? We're right. taking a modest approach. I saw that headline yesterday and I'm, I'm listening to what you're saying here. And it would be laughable if it weren't so serious, quite honestly, um, if we weren't talking about these you know, blatant infringements on a fundamental right. You know, I've got to ask as well, Robin, we obviously saw this um, high profile shooting made national headlines, Burnsville, Minnesota, um, where three first responders, two police officers and a paramedic were shot by a guy who apparently took his own life. Um, somebody who was not legally eligible to own a firearm. I don't know if we know what type of firearm he used in this crime, but I'm already seeing anti-gun advocates, and I'm assuming anti-gun lawmakers as well, point to this crime committed by somebody who was not lawfully allowed to possess a firearm as reason to go after lawful gun owners. What kind of impact is the shooting having on the legislative session so far? Well, so, so this tragedy was invoked at a press conference yesterday. Now, moving into this session, we knew that they had two priorities, two things that they wanted to get done this year. One was a safe storage mandate, which requires you to store firearms and ammunition separately, uh, uh, rendering them useless for self-defense in the home. And then the second is a mandatory reporting of lost and stolen firearms. They attempted, and even our governor uh, tweeted this out, that you know, had we passed a safe storage bill that this tragedy may not have happened. 
and it just defies all logic, but it exposes their zeal to capitalize on the blood of innocent victims to push their agenda, no matter how irrelevant the policy proposal is. There is no rational analysis that says, had we had a law that required firearms to be uh, stored safely, that a prohibited person that possessed multiple uh, firearms that they were not allowed to possess and murdered law enforcement officers and a first respond and a, a paramedic, a firefighter paramedic, that had we had a safe storage law, that that would have prevented this. They're, they're completely dancing in the blood of victims in order to push their agenda. And it's entirely shameful. Do they think the people of Minnesota are morons? I mean, because um, I mean, you're, you're right. I mean, not only is this, you know, exploiting a tragedy, but if you if you're reading the news, if you go beyond the headlines and you actually know the circumstances of what happened here, it's pretty apparent that a, a storage law would have had no impact. So do they think the people of Minnesota are idiots or do they just not care, I guess? Yeah, I, I don't think they care. I think that um, that they have a formula. We've seen this done time and time again, where it's we must, you know, insert ineffective policy here uh, to prevent insert whatever the tragedy is for the children. I mean, that, that's a repeating dynamic that we see over and over again uh, when these bills are coming up. They they are shameless in their willingness to capitalize on, on tragedies to push irrelevant agendas. Yeah. All right. Now, you said that we're in the early days of the session here. Um, what's the best way for gun owners? We'll, we'll talk about Minnesota gun owners, but obviously those folks um, you know, who are outside of the state who want to pay attention. What's the best way for them to keep track of where these bills are, what bills are coming up for a hearing? Um, how can they stay informed so that they can be engaged with their lawmakers this session? Yeah, so we've got a, a lot of great resources on our website, which is gunowners.mn. Right there on the homepage, you can find a email sign up at the very least if you want to sign up just so I can keep you informed on what's going on. Uh, I don't spam you. We don't sell your information. All I care about is making sure that we have a very, very well-informed uh, and engaged uh, member base. And we've got members all over the country. It's not just limited to Minnesota. Uh, and then we also have bill trackers on our website, which li we list off all of the pro-Second Amendment bills, all the anti-gun bills uh, that are being working their way through the legislature. So you get kind of an at-a-glance look at uh, where these uh, specific policy proposals are. And if you are in Minnesota, we actually have an action center where all you need to do is put in your name and your address. Our system will automatically identify your elected officials and send them uh, the message uh, on your behalf and, uh, and engage with them that way. Okay. Well, listen, I, I hope that we can have you back um, as the uh, session progresses. H how long is this your session, Rob? Uh, it'll end in mid-May. Uh, so oh, it's, oh a, it's Lord, a that's a lot of time. Session. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, relatively short, yeah. but a lot of time for them to do some damage. A lot of time, yeah. And and by in, uh, about a month, by March twenty second, we'll have a good idea of which bills are are moving and which ones are are, are essentially dead for the year. Okay. Now I know you've been talking with a lot of lawmakers uh, over the past couple of weeks. You don't have to name names because I, I I I'm not going to ask you to do that, but. Are you hearing any pushback from Democratic lawmakers to this extreme anti-Second Amendment agenda? Yeah, uh, we we uh, last uh, year we were able to mobilize uh, 76 of our 87 sheriffs in opposition uh, to the safe storage bill. They said it's unenforceable. It's ridiculous, uh, especially the rural sheriff said, hey, you know, we could be an hour away, you know, uh, driving 60 with, you know, in you know, in code three. Uh, we're you know, uh, we're 
we, you know, we're not going to be able to be there. Uh, we also, we know that there was bipartisan opposition to these bills uh, last uh, session when some of the gun control proposals were moving forward, and there remains bipartisan opposition to these bills. What I'm also worried about, though, is those moderate Republicans who might be drawn in uh, to these uh, to the uh, to these proposals. Uh, and th that's what scares me more than anything. I know that we've got Democrat votes and probably enough Democrat votes to kill these bills. I'm worried about re uh, the Republicans being uh, pressured into these common sense measures. Yeah. So if you're a gun owner in Minnesota and your representative state senator has an R behind their name, don't just assume that that means that they're going to stand with you in support of our Second Amendment. Right. They need to be hearing from from their constituents, too. Absolutely. All right. Well, listen, Rob, I certainly appreciate the update. I'm really glad we were able to connect and uh, look forward to having you back on the program again very, very soon. Thank you for all that you uh, and all of the folks at the uh, Gun Owners Caucus are doing there in Minnesota. Thanks, Cam. It's, it's been great. My thanks to Rob once again for joining us on the program. And yeah, we'll be talking with the uh, folks from the Gun Owners Caucus in Minnesota. Um, probably check in again in a couple of weeks here and see uh, where things are as we get a little bit closer to that filing deadline. Right now, let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We will start there with a uh, case out of Florida where uh, court records reveal a troubling past for the uh, shooting suspects at a uh, Florida mall last week. This was in uh, Palm Beach Gardens. Um, there was a uh, shooting two suspects arrested, and the police chief in Palm Beach Gardens, Clinton Shannon, uh, said that both of these suspects, well known to law enforcement. And in fact, uh, one of the individuals has a arrest record going back, well, actually, I guess they both have arrest records going back to uh, their juvenile days. Uh, chief Shannon said these are some very, very violent individuals that are walking freely among us. Devon Graham, Camarcio Mitchell, according to uh, WFLX, have criminal histories that, uh, again, go back to their childhoods and include plea deals, drop charges, as well as an acquittal. Uh, Graham right now has been charged with possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. More charges could come soon. He is accused of shooting Mitchell in the middle of the mall back on Valentine's Day. Uh, Graham also apparently refused to show up for his first court appearance yesterday morning, so he's now being held on no bond, and his first appearance pushed back uh, 30 days According to the chief, Graham has previously been charged with 30 different felony offenses. He has six felony convictions, as well as just one incarceration. There's a problem right there, right? According to the chief, Graham's criminal record dates back to 2011, when he was 16 years old. Uh, available court records, according to WFLX, available in Palm Beach County, start in 2013, when Graham was convicted of grand theft of a vehicle. He was sentenced to time served and walked free as soon as that uh, conviction took place in 2014. Three years later, 2017, he's arrested in connection with a non-deadly shooting near a Riviera Beach daycare. Charges included uh, two counts of aggravated assault with a firearm, which prosecutors uh, eventually dropped. Um, the document said, although there was probable cause to make an arrest, the evidence is insufficient to support a prosecution. Mark Freeman, spokesman for the Palm Beach County State Attorney's Office, says, oh, well, one of the factors in that case is that we were unable to reach a victim. All right. Well, that is, listen, I mean, that that's valid, right? If victims aren't cooperative, you can't put anybody on the stand and you don't have a lot of physical evidence, that hurts these cases. And unfortunately, sometimes that will lead to charges being dismissed. Following year, Graham was arrested on drugs and weapons charges, was allowed to plead down to lesser charges, spent 30 days behind bars. In 2020, 
There was a forgery case. Graham received three years probation. He violated that probation in 2022 and spent another 20 days in jail. Uh, Mitchell, meanwhile, who was shot uh, at the mall, allegedly by Graham, he's facing federal weapons charges for allegedly carrying a firearm as a convicted felon. Uh, according to the police chief, he thinks that it was Mitchell who actually started the confrontation with Graham, that the two didn't know each other. Uh, Mitchell is scheduled to be arraigned in federal court on March the 5th. Shannon, the police chief in Palm Beach Garden, said some of the most notable crimes that he's been charged with. First degree homicide in 2011, homicide in 2013, armed robbery, grand theft. Mitchell was just 15 when he was charged with murder in 2011. He pleaded guilty to a lesser charge of battery. Yeah. From murder down to battery, he was sentenced to probation, which he apparently violated in 2013 when he brought a gun to school. That led to a 28-month prison sentence. He was then charged with murder again in 2015, shortly after he got out of prison, but was found not guilty by a jury. Between 2018 and 2020, numerous felony charges filed against Mitchell, including grand theft auto, drug, weapons charges, but prosecutors dropped those felony charges down to misdemeanors. He was allowed to plead guilty. 2020 drug trafficking case sent Mitchell to prison for four years, well, on a four-year sentence uh, in 2021, but he got credit for more than a year served. He was required to serve a minimum of three years, so he apparently was not out of prison long before, uh, once again, being involved in a violent crime. Yeah, there you go. So it's not Florida's constitutional carrier, permitless carry law. It wasn't, you know, law-abiding citizens blasting away at one another, individuals with lengthy criminal histories. And unfortunately, not much time behind bars to show for any of those crimes that they were convicted or pled guilty to. Now, today's armed citizen story from Denison, Texas, where a homeowner shot an intruder after the stranger broke into his home armed with a hammer. Yeah. Broad daylight, too, by the way. This is about 4.30 Monday afternoon. Uh, Grayson County Sheriff's Department got a call uh, from a homeowner saying, uh, hey, you know, I just had to shoot somebody who came into my home. When they arrived, they spoke with the homeowner who told him that a guy who he had never seen before, didn't know, came to his door and then managed to force his way inside the home while he was brandishing a hammer. The homeowner tried to get the guy to leave, but instead was attacked by the hammer-wielding home invader who struck him with the weapon. That, and only then, is when the uh, homeowner drew his firearm and shot his attacker. At last report, the attacker uh, airlifted to a hospital and is in critical condition. Uh, police have not arrested uh, anybody in connection with this. I guess they're waiting to see if the uh, individual survives uh, and gets out of the hospital. case does remain under investigation, but based on the initial reports, this sounds like a very clear-cut case of self-defense. You are where you have a right to be in your own home. Somebody forcibly makes entry into that home and physically attacks you. Um, even if you did not have a castle doctrine law in place, as Texas does, that would still be a justified use of force to defend your life. And it sounds like that's exactly what happened there to the uh, homeowner in Denison, Texas. Finally today, in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing, a uh, St. Louis area man who helped his neighbor survive a house fire, actually pulled him out from the flames. Uh, Channel 4 in St. Louis reporting on uh, what happened to Fred Ishman. He said, uh, I had my hand up in the air. Next thing I know, I felt him grab my hand, and I was on my way out the door. Isham 
Fishman rather spent uh, two months in the hospital recovering from the injuries that he received uh, in this house fire. But if Mark Gordon, the good Samaritan in question, had not been there to save his neighbor, uh, it is likely that Ishman would have passed away from his injuries. Gordon said he was on fire. There were things around him spontaneously combusting because it was so hot. Gordon kicked down the door to Ishman's home, ran into that burning house to rescue him. Uh, one St. Louis County police officer said the fire captain said this is the best fire rescue he's seen in 38 years. So Gordon, no thought to his own safety, is going through this, you know, smoke-filled home. He says, I just kept walking and I felt a body. And I just grabbed the hand and I just snatched it and I pulled it all the way out to the door. Ishman said, I had given up. He said, I couldn't go no further. He said, the heat had me, the smoke had me. I couldn't go anymore. I told the Lord, I'm on my way. And then I heard him beating on the door and it put a smile on me. St. Louis County Police hailing Gordon as a hero for pulling the 70-year-old man to safety from his home. Uh, last month, he received the Citizen Award in January uh, following the uh, incident, which actually happened in May of last year. Gordon says, I don't think I would have done anything different. He said, I would hope that someone would do that for me. I help people. I think that's what my purpose in life is. Well, I got to say, I would like to think that if we were in a similar situation, we would all act as Mark Gordon did. But we all know that that's not the case. There are some folks who would have called 911. They would have waited outside for the first responders. Um, but they would not have risked injury to themselves to try to save their neighbor so in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. Mark Gordon, we thank you for your life-saving good deed. Now, that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. But don't forget to check out BarryandArms.com throughout the day for all of the latest Second Amendment news and information from across the nation. And uh, a preview uh, coming up on Monday's show. We're going to be talking with uh, Professor James Eric Dietz from Purdue University's Homeland Security Institute. We've been doing some fascinating research on armed teachers, armed school staff, as well as uh, armed responses at churches and this is information you probably won't see in the mainstream media, but we're going to let you know what uh, Dr. Dietz and his team have uncovered. And it is, uh, well, you'll know why the mainstream media is not going to interested in presenting this information, because it uh, shows that, yes, armed citizens can have a beneficial impact. So we'll see you on Monday for that edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. Check out BearingArms.com between now and then. And if you uh, like what you see. I just ran right through that music, didn't I? Uh, I would encourage you to become a VIP or VIP Gold member at Barrion Arms. All you have to do, go to BarryandArms.com slash subscribe. I'm just going to start that music over again. Use the promo code SAVEAMERICA, and you can get 50% off your VIP or VIP Gold membership. As always, saying thanks for showing your support for the independent pro-second amendment journalism that we're doing. We're going to give you exclusive content you won't find anywhere else because your support really does matter, and it truly does make a difference in a world where the mainstream media is not interested in presenting Hey, a pro-Second Amendment point of view. All right. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again soon. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.